On this week's Big Tech Show, you might not think it could happen to you, but our guest this week explains how a significant number of Irish people may be falling victim to romance frauds online. Victims can feel a misplaced sense of shame. People can blame themselves. They feel embarrassed. And so they don't want to tell family, friends. They don't want to report it to the police. In some cases, of course, the victims are already in relationships. They're married. They have an extra reason to keep that quiet. The Big Tech Show, available on all podcast platforms. Shachtan, an Indo Askeliga. Time Imon Irti Yen of Chacht Erachor, Agasuligum, a Machan Shaw, Gurfeder Echor, Inuik Kart, Len of Winterfein. Skilti, Fis, Turmi. Tashi Dochretche, Nach Vetoch, Ara, Igornamion, on Kestian Echo. Vientalam again Omgrev, Orkorn Rachtum. Find us on all the usual podcast platforms. Leia Healthcare. It's good to live. Proud sponsor of The Left Wing with Luke Fitzgerald. Morgan, extra man, it's Fitzgerald, oh Fitzgerald is cutting back inside! Leicester have another! Darcy and Driscoll through the legs, Rob Carney, out to Fitzgerald again, step and score! Hello and welcome to the Left Wing Independent.ie's Rugby Podcast. I'm Will Slattery, delighted to be joined in studio by... A man wearing a suit and tie, Luke Fitzgerald. Luke, hello. Will, how are you? You're rocking like kind of a stubble. You look like a you know a dishevelled businessman. That's the looking uh, for. And I'd say I operate one like uh, operate like one as well. Will. <laughs> um, yeah, no, it's uh, it's good to see you, Will. Yeah. A week is a long time to not see you. Yeah, a week is I a long time. Badly. A week is a long time <laughs> on politics and podcasting. I think that's the new thing. You know, it feels like we haven't seen each other in a while. Uh, Basking yeah. in the adulation that our Conor Murray interview received from the masses. Yes, very well received, actually. And um, yeah, he was excellent, wasn't he? He was mm. very insightful, as you'd expect from someone uh, like him. Kind of speaks like he plays. Very smart guy. Um, so uh, yeah, it was great to get him on the show. Nice little coup, uh, especially at the end of Munster's season. And a nice little wrap up for, you know, on, on, on their stuff as well, I suppose. Yeah, and, um, you know, I think we've kind of emulated that this week, hopefully. Yeah, exactly. Leinster finished their season last weekend, completing a first ever double. Well, not including the Challenge Cup Pro 12, which, you know, we'll just... You know, no, we wipe it from the annals of history. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, we're joined by Easton and with Leinster legend, uh, walking off into the sunset. There's something about Leinster legends in their last game which happens to be a Pro 12 final and injuring their calf. Brian O'Driscoll, Easton Asiwa, almost identical send-offs. Yeah, Gordon Darcy, I think, as well. Am I right? Do you think, uh, honestly, think, can, yeah. we, can we speak frankly here? Like, Leo Cullen shouldn't have picked him if he obviously wasn't fit. Like, that's, that's, that's a pretty ridiculous. I know, but I think if he'd come through, and obviously if he came through 20 minutes, then he clearly was able to play. Um, as in, like, he probably got a bit unfortunate during the game. Um, possibly. Possibly. Look, um... Uh, look, there isn't usually much room for sentimentality in um, in professional sports, but uh, I kind of felt like yeah. I like the guy a lot. It was Samuel Driscoll. Like. I know he's a hardy book. Uh, you know, really put in a hundred percent every time he pulled on the blue jersey. Didn't just play pay uh, lip service to it, and I think. Um, and I'm sure it'll come across in his interview now. We haven't got a huge amount of time with him, but um, 
I think it'll come across that way about him as well. He really did buy into the whole Leinster thing. I think his family loved it here in Ireland. Um, I think there's a lesson in that. You know, he did it the right way. He's the best ever import, as far as I'm concerned, by quite a long way in Irish rugby. Um, I think that was it. I mean, I think it's a hard thing often to settle in, but he really immersed himself in life over here, and his family did. Um, and I think... Uh, he'll be a big loss. He really will be a big loss. I don't know if you saw the reports that Leinster looking to apparently replace him with Joe Tamani. Uh, that's in a good odd one. Is he not an Australian qualified guy? He, he is, but seemingly he has a Samoan passport, so he's not affected by. I was thinking, geez, they couldn't do that. Because I, well, I was the same as you. I was like, there'd be no point in signing an Australian, you know, who couldn't play, but seemingly he can play because at one stage this season, Montpellier against Leinster had Cruden himself and Jesse Mong in one squad, which are their three, you know. Uh, two Australians and a New Zealanders so yeah, yeah. but I still don't think it's. I still am a fan of it because there's a lot of good young backs at Leinster I, just, I understand he's a great player and especially when the big guns are away he'll really benefit the team but I much prefer Leinster you know giving more game time to someone like Roy O'Loughlin or a few, trying to you know develop one of their other young centres in the academy rather than you know bringing in an outside guy yeah, look, it's a hard one to get right. You know, I do think that it's nice to have a sprinkling of a bit of talent, um, you know, from the Southern Hemisphere, especially when all those guys are away. Because whilst there is a huge amount of talent in Leinster, they seem to get about 18 or 19 guys in that Irish squad quite regularly, you know. So that means they're not even training during the week and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, look, uh, what, I, what I think is more important is that they get someone whose habits are really good, which is kind of a dangerous thing coming from France. I think they're probably not... He'd probably have to be retrained in how to be... A proper professional. Lose a stone. Uh, you never know. Um, and I, I just think he's. Like, that's the dangerous part for me is that you look like what you're. What are you replacing Eason Asiwa with? You know, a guy who's got, you know, unbelievable habits, who works really hard, who's really, really smart, like really bright rugby player, um, speaks really well, a big leader around, and a big presence around the setup. Like, are we going to get that with him? I don't know. Uh, you know, I don't want to underestimate a guy without having seen him come in, but um, he's got big shoes to fill. And I do like I like that they're getting in another foreign guy. Um, but that would be the concern: is that like are his habits really good? You know, uh, if they were, he probably would have stayed. Would you not like, rather them see them develop some of the talent they have? I would. I absolutely like, would. But I think he can do that alongside these guys. Uh, I think oftentimes one of them will get injured or something if they're playing a lot of games. So you don't always have these two guys in those periods anyway. Um, if, I think if you're lucky, you probably have one of them. Um, so, yeah, look, I think um, I think it's important to get one more guy in who's who's a big influence and who is a game-breaker. And Tumani is a game-breaker. He's, you know, I think you need some of those guys around uh, just to, I think they, they bring on the younger players. And he's an Australian international, so, uh, you know, he should be a top-quality operator. Was it gratifying to know that when you had to retire, they had to get Eason to see you out of retirement to, to fill your void in the team? Uh, I don't know if that was the case, but, um, <laughs> yeah, look, I think... Uh, it is amazing. Like he's has been a big factor in turning the place around. Um, you know, alongside probably getting Stuart Lancaster in, and I think Leo Cullen's had a big impact in terms of the guiding hand and, and influence behind the scenes. Uh, he doesn't have a massive, um, doesn't have a massive uh, ego. Uh, I think about to bring in someone like Stuart. Sta- you know, stands out a lot, and I think um, you know probably a good thing. He like he looks like he's actually made a few really really smart kind of plays along the way that have gone unnoticed. I mean, getting Easton Asio back was a huge, like it was a, it was a bit of a coup, I think. And he's had a massive influence. And I think he's probably the reason why they were probably able to attract Stuart Lancaster alongside Johnny Sexton. So uh, getting all those guys back has been a big, big factor. I've never actually asked you this, and I'll ask Issa about this in a couple of minutes, but um, you, you were obviously playing
playing in the team when Johnny Sexton came back the second time and, and he gave that interview when he mentioned oh, the culture were nowhere near where we were. Like, what was the reaction amongst the squad, the players? Were they thinking, like, geez, you've just come back. Like, you don't really know what's going on. Like, hold mm. on a second. Like, what was the reaction? I'd, I'd say there are a few people a bit pissed off. I didn't really have a problem with it. I think, you know, I suppose, uh, did I think he was playing great at the time? Uh, I didn't really think so. Uh, he wasn't, I don't think. Um, but I quite liked that about Johnny. Uh, I quite liked that uh, he was. He felt he was able to say that. I'm sure he was including himself in that. Um, or at least I hope he was, because <laughs> uh, otherwise it kind of was, you know, fairly fairly shallow and fairly, um, I think the words wouldn't have had as much meaning. I felt he was. Uh, I think he's introspective enough to, to be able to, to think that about himself. Um, and I suppose uh, that was why I, I didn't have a problem with it. Uh, I thought it was a good thing to say. I think you need to be brave like that at times. I think you need a shake-up in the setup at times if things have been you know, going, haven't been going well. And I think if you start accepting, you know, losses and, you know, probably some of the attitude behind the scenes would have been frustrating for Johnny. Uh, you know, people not being as upset with losing um, as they should be. Uh, people not probably putting in the preparation. People not preparing themselves well enough physically for games. Um, he would have seen lots of those things and I saw those things. And I think that's probably why he probably said those things. And, um, yeah, I liked it. To answer it in a very long-winded way, I did like it, Will. I think it's important, you know, and I, and I think some people probably felt, oh, well, I don't think you're playing great either, to be honest, mate. Um, <laughs> you know, maybe sort that out first. But I think, personally, I felt um, that uh, he was including himself in that. And none of us were playing well enough. And I think that we needed to give a little bit more. And I think they've probably shown that in the last, especially this year, that it looks like a lot of the guys, from what I gather, especially some of the young guys, have that commitment level. Um, they are putting in the extra work. You heard him talk about James Ryan um, and Dan Levy after winning the Grand Six Slam, Nations, yeah. um, going in and, and training. He saw them coming out of Riverview, and I thought that was that was big. You know, it's um, funny. It's gone under the radar a bit because everyone keeps talking about how James Ryan's never lost a game professional rugby, but there's like six or seven players this season who haven't lost a single game this year. Really, like yeah. Sexton, I don't think Rob Kearney has either. Yeah, one or two others that have just been swept the board completely. Yeah, well, I think they've done a really good job about upping the standards there. You talked, I mean, listening to Issa talk after the game, he was talking about, uh, you know, about the setup and what, where they've kind of left it. And I think off the back of that, um, you know, I, I kind of feel that uh, the big difference seems to have been in the setup, uh, in the daily habits, uh, and the formation of them was was tough it's obviously taken a little bit of time and a little bit of hurt last season probably turbocharged that a little bit you know having failed at both semi-final levels and probably having been you know I'm not going to say the best competition the best team in the competition last year but definitely the best team in the Pro in the Pro 14 Oh, Leinster's record in the Pro 14 now they've rectified it somewhat at the weekend but considering how dominant they've been in the last decade it's pretty shocking that they've only won abysmal absolutely four, abysmal I think they've yeah. won They've won three in the in the knockout era, like you know. But I think that we've been the best team all the way through. Oh yeah, I think Connacht finished the team. Well, Connacht finished the competition really, really yeah. well, and we're playing really good rugby at a really good time. But I think if you look at over the course of the season, I think Leinster were leading the competition for I think for pretty much for the whole year. If I'm, well, if Leinster I'm topped the table that season. Top the table. I think there was one period at the end where they might have crept ahead, but we still finished at top of the table. I think. Uh, for the most part, Leinster been the best team. Uh, bar maybe Glasgow. Glasgow were the best team when they won it. The Ospreys. Um, 
Yeah, but really, I think Leinster were better teams yeah, than those definitely. teams all the time. I think Glasgow and Connacht timed it better than Leinster that time and were playing really better, like a lot better rugby. Do you think any, the reason they didn't win as many of those games is because realistically, like, there wasn't, a, there wasn't a, it was all about Europe, wasn't it? Like, you know, there wasn't how much. It wasn't, it wasn't. Like, I mean, we were, we were out at the knockout stages, you know, so it wasn't all about Europe. Um, you know, and I think there was big hunger to win that. I think we got a bit of lucky. I mean, Dev, Dev, Dev Toner had a family bereavement the night before the competition. You know, he was really, really important to us at the time. Um, and you saw like our lineup really struggled on the day, which di- which doesn't help on a big day, even though they played better rugby than us. Things like that kind of knocked the stuffing out of you. With a few things that went 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 against us, um, as well as them playing a lot better rugby than us, it didn't help that we had those things combined and it kind of uh, that we never looked like winning that final. So. I thought there was a few things that um, over the course of the years, we just, I mean, Easter, like the, the, the ones that, that stand out, like, I mean, the one against Munster in 2011, we'd won against Ospreys where we were, I think, 11 points up with 10 minutes to go. Um, a few of them we kind of let go as well. So, uh, yeah, they should have done better. And it's great to see them win the competition. It's, re- it's a really, really important competition to win. I mean, being consistent and the habits that Issa talks about all the time about Leinster and Johnny will be talking about all the time and Leo and Stuart, uh, the daily habits, like the, I think the real culmination of that actually is the league. Like, can you produce when all the guys are in a way? It's a real, it's a real test of the rest of your setup, a real test of the rest of the squad, and a real test of the habits that you build in every day of training. Uh, you know, are you fit enough? Are you strong enough? Is your passing good enough? Can everyone in the squad pass under pressure? Can they all deliver on the plan that you've made all all during the week for whatever team you're playing? Like the real test of can you do it over the season? Are you a great team? is probably the league, even though the, the Cup is definitely a harder competition to win in terms of, like, what have you got, nine games, uh, ten games to, to win? It's like, uh, that's a bloody hard competition to win. Last thing, a bit of show. Sorry, it's nine games. It's definitely Nine games, yes. yeah, you just added an extra one. Nine games, yeah. and just before we bring in Issa, last bit of show business is, I have, a, I have a grand plan for the left wing. You know, we've had a very successful first season, We'll get a summer off. We'll regroup. Very successful. We'll recuperate. Yeah, are we? <laughs> yeah, well, why, why, you know, self-proclaimed. Yeah, I love self-proclaimed, it. <laughs> very successful podcast. Nah, it feels like it's been a good year. It's delighted to be joined on the line by the very recently retired Easton Asiwa. Issa, thanks so much for joining us. Ah, welcome. I'm looking forward to it. Looking forward to it. It's been a uh, been a crazy couple of weeks. Yeah, I guess you know you're you're quite used to the old retirement gig at this stage. You went through it all before in 2013. How does it differ this time? I guess back then there was a sense that with you and Johnny and Joe all leaving Leinster, it was maybe the end of an era. But you seem to be leaving the place in good hands this time around. Yeah, really, really different times. Like, um, you just you know personally, I just I just such a different time. Can't can't even compare the two. Um, but yeah, it was it was it felt like the end of the end of something last time. Um, where this time it sort of feels like it's the start of something to me. Um, obviously, I haven't had too much time to think about all this. Well, I'll have plenty of time now. But it's um, you know today's probably the first day that I've sort of come up and taken a breath for air. That's for sure. And East, the last time we were talking, I think face to face was probably that um, Ireland Fiji match. Um, yep, yep. you know, and you'd kind of sounded like you had been giving it a bit of thought. Had you had you made your decision at that stage, or has it kind of been the last couple of weeks has has kind of cemented it in your mind? Um, yeah. So it was right around when Joey Carberry got injured um, uh, in the Fiji match, and like I was sort of, I think I had made the decision in my head that I was going to retire. I just, um, I just was probably going through the next two to three months. It was more cementing in my own thoughts and then in Simon's thoughts and 
you know, planning our future, probably, probably post that November break, um, that it all sort of, you know, really hit home that I was probably going to finish up at the end of the season. But it's in, in one way, it's quite nice knowing that in my own head that I was probably going to go out. It sort of gave me better focus into, mm. you know, there's going to be so many, so many last things for the next six months. But I sort of kept that to myself quite a while. Um, but, yeah, it was around that time that I was sort of cementing the thought in my own head. Uh, probably a good time as well while we're while we're on the subject of uh, I suppose Fiji. Um, to I'm sure you've been asked this umpteen times now since you retired. If you're doing all these interviews, but I mean, I suppose just just uh, I mean, it's it seems to be kind of a very pivotal um, kind of moment in your in your career. That whole uh, thing with that Fiji cap, and I suppose uh, you know from a Leinsterman's perspective and a teammate's perspective. You know, it was fantastic that you got capped by, by, by Fiji. But, yeah. I mean, tell us a little bit about that. I mean, you, you got one cap for Fiji, and I suppose, you know, a player of your quality playing in New Zealand, I suppose you were, probably would have been hoping to be involved in in the All Blacks at some stage. Um, tell yeah, us a little bit about that. Yeah, it was a, like, it was a it was probably a time that, you know, I was, I, was, I was really young. I was 20 years old, and I'd just come off the back of... Um, winning the NPC with Auckland and I wasn't actually involved I was 23rd man that day um and then you get told rung up and told oh asked do you want to go to a world cup and like it's not a not a hard decision to make um I didn't really think I was going to be an all-black then you know I mm. you know I'd only been in uh rugby NPC like semi-professional environment for just on six months you know so um look there was always the dream as a kid but um you know, going to a World Cup was a pretty cool thing. Um, and the rest is history in that. Like, if I didn't get that cap, you know, you know, I probably wouldn't have spent 10 years in Ireland um, at Leinster. So, um, yeah, like, no regrets whatsoever. Um, but I can say that now that I'm retired. <laughs> yeah, so when you, when you look back, I guess, to, to your, your first time you came to Leinster, like, what was the sales pitch that Michael Checker gave you that, that started all this love affair with Leinster? Oh, look, I just, I sat down, I was... I had a couple of offers from from clubs around Europe, but the fact that Czechs flew to New Zealand and met me at a cafe in Mount Eden, um, firstly, I thought that was pretty impressive in itself. Um, on the same trip, I think he went down the road to Hamilton because the Cheetahs were playing the Chiefs and he saw and he talked to CJ Vanderlinder. So the fact that he came out there and met me face to face, I thought was was a great start to a relationship. And look, you know when you you know, he said, look, you, you get the chance to play with Chris Whitaker, who I knew from his time at the Tars, um, Felipe Contempomi, um, Drico, Shaggy, Gerv, the upcoming Lukey Fitz and Bob Carney. <laughs> like, it's, it's not, it wasn't a hard sell, the fact that I was coming north to play decent rugby. Um, I definitely wasn't going to go to a club that was renowned for kicking the ball in wet weather, you know, but at least I knew I was coming north to play decent rugby and you know, Chick sold that to me in a cafe and I shook his hand and, um, you know, and off we went. I guess it was a phenomenal first season at the end, you know, winning the Heineken Cup. But I remember back at the start, I guess you were you were being tried in a few different positions. You got that bad arm injury that, that took you out for a couple of months. Was there any period then when you were kind of thinking, geez, have I made the right decision here? Um, Not really, no. Like, yeah. Oh, the break in my arm in the in a game at Ospreys, I think it was the second game of the season, like wasn't ideal. But back then there weren't Italian teams in the Magnus League, so I didn't miss too much rugby. Um, I was on the sidelines when 
Lukey Fitz tore wasps apart. I think he scored a hat trick that day um, on a sunny RDS. But like, I sort of was like, oh, I'm missing out not being there. But I probably only missed about three games in six to seven, maybe eight weeks. It was just the shape of the competition. So I was back involved pretty quick. I, I learned pretty quickly that maybe out half wasn't my position. Um, <laughs> and I think Johnny probably reminded me that on a constant basis. But um, it was all new to me. This whole shape of the season, um, <coughs> Heineken Cup, Magnus League, I didn't really grasp the shape of the competition until towards the end of the season. Um, I didn't know how important Heineken Cup meant to guys. So this is all a learning curve. And I've sort of said that to guys like Scott Fardy and James Lowe that have just come straight in here and won the double. You know, it's um, it seems easy and it seems like it's going to happen every year, but that's just not the reality. Yeah. And he's, I mean, it seemed to me like, I mean, I, I know there's, I mean, you talk to like lots of people who've played both, you know, played, you know, European rugby and who've played, uh, you know, super rugby. Um, and it seems like there's a big difference in terms of mentality. And I, and I thought, um, you know, when you first came up, I thought you really, like, I mean, you really developed um, from, you know, a really top class super rugby player to a really top class European rugby player. And I think that's actually a really, I don't know of many people who've really done that really well. Um, tell us a little bit about like maybe, uh, look, maybe I'm wrong on this one, but just from my own observations uh, fairly closely yeah. and, and looking at some people who've come up with like a massive reputation um, and really not, I suppose, not really produced. I think you're the, the standout guy in that category who's really been able to produce over a long period of time. Um, tell us a little bit about what you think maybe, like, did you feel like something changed? Did you feel like you changed? How did you adapt to the competition and become so successful in both spheres? Oh, look, I, you know, it's a, it's a great question. I, I had some really, I look back now and I, I like some of the most important advice I ever received in my career was from Doug Howlett. And you from you playing super rugby, you sort of have the blinkers on the, you know, you only believe Super Rugby is the greatest competition in the world because that's what you're sold. You don't really take a massive interest in what's going on up north. Um, and even James Lowe said that when he got here. But there's, with the with the coverage and broadcasting now, you know, there's a lot more European rugby down in New Zealand. Um, you know, my folks would watch every single Leinster game um, back home in New Zealand, which wasn't the case 10 years ago. But, but you had to... Dougie said to me, he goes don't think you can come here and change everything in a week. Um, and, and I sort of understood what he meant because you, you, have, to, you have to buy your, buy your time and sort of get settled into the culture and, you know, don't think you can just come here and change things. And that's often what I tell, um, you know, foreign guys coming to Leinster. I was like, don't think you can just change things overnight just because what was working in Super Rugby worked for you there. And... Um, you know, it's some pretty important advice that Dougie gave me early on, which probably, you know, helped me uh, helped me settle into, you know, life up here in, in Dublin and the way the rugby's played. Issa, I guess so much of your time in Leinster, in particular the first spell, has been defined with Leinster's great rivalry with Munster, you know, some absolutely brilliant games over the years. And, you know, I know that you've really bought into that rivalry as well. How did you kind of first discover how big a deal those games were? Because pretty much from the from the get-go, they were season-defining. Yeah, man, like that, it's a pretty, you get a pretty good crash course for how intense the um, rivalry is sitting back and watching. You know, we lost to... Oh, correct me if I'm wrong, Luke. I think we lost both matches that yeah, uh, 2009 in the 08 09 season mm. before Croke Park, and 
I, Rog was a standout masterclass in the RDS that day. I think there was probably eight to ten five-meter scrums from perfect spirals to the corners. Mm-hmm. Um, and I learned a lot watching that game and then playing down in Tomlin Park. Jeepers. Like, I remember being pinned on the bottom of the ruck and I could just hear Mick O'Driscoll, Paul O'Connell, all these guys controlling the game with a knee in my chest and not letting me off the ground. You know, they they had full control and, you know, leaving that place was pretty intense too. So, you know, and, and I'd understood and learned the history by then and the lead up to the Croke Park match. So, um, yeah, what an amazing event. Like, 82,400 people. Like, that, that just blew my mind. Like, not in my wildest dreams would I think I'd ever play in front of that. So, it was a, it was a special day and one that really stands out in the memory and the Leinster-Munster rivalry, that's for sure. And Luke, from your perspective, working with Issa, like when he first came in that season, like what stood out to you? Well, I think what really impressed me straight away was was how intense he was. You know, I mean, I, I would have watched Issa, I would have watched a lot of Super Rugby, um, and I, and I it kind of it's, it's funny you're saying it, Issa. I always kind of felt, uh, well, I always thought he was he'd probably be the a better fullback uh, coming in. I always thought that was where he looked really really natural. But obviously that because you didn't play there as much. Uh, well, look, I, I was actually kind of stuck on the wing at that stage. I'd, I'd had my blooper and, and I had, uh, hadn't really taken my chance at 15. I had a few bloopers there with the national team. Um, so my chance was kind of gone there. And I always kind of felt, I was like, well, I wonder, like, because I remember, you, as you were saying, he's um, started off in 10. Uh, and I think it's a bit of a different game. Like, I mean, coming up as a 10, especially if you didn't play 10 all the time uh, down in yeah. Southern Hemisphere as well, like, would have been a really tough ask. And I always felt looking at Issa that um, I, I just knew from training that he was going to be class. I mean, the, the fundamentals of the game, it's what I always say to any young kids who ask me about the game. I say, like, fundamentals. It's why the All Blacks are so good. Everyone on the team, 1-15, to 15, can pass the ball. You know, everyone's really fit. Everyone's really strong. Everyone can tackle well. And he used to do all those things well. Um, and I always felt once he found his place, once he found a place where he could play consistently, I mean, look, as he's gone on, he can play anywhere well. Um, but I, I thought once he found his place, either on the wing or at fullback, and there isn't really much difference anymore um, that I thought he was really going to flourish. And, and that's what he did. And I think um, he had a massive impact. And what Issa probably only starts, has probably only started to realize now is the impact he had on everyone around him. I mean, he was a massive influence around. Didn't talk all the time, but when he had things to say, one of those people, he had just really, everything stopped dead. And everyone said, oh, Issa's talking. You know, he must have something important to say. Um, uh, and that was really what struck me with playing with Issa was that I knew he was going to be a cracker of a player. I just didn't know where he was going to fit in. I thought once he found his place, um, that he was going to be as influential as he as he has turned out to be. I'm not sure maybe for as long as I thought. You know, a lot of Southern Hemisphere players move on, but I think given the international rugby uh, kind of situation that Issa found himself in, um, I'm not actually surprised he's gone on to 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 be as influential for as long as he has in Leinster. Yeah, so when I saw that uh, that letter you wrote to Leinster supporters, and and you talked about how the highlight was just you know captaining the side, uh, that was something that obviously meant a great deal to you. Oh, massively, massively. Um, you know, I captained the team once in 2011 against Treviso at the RDS, probably during Six Nations, and it was a pretty proud mo. It was a very proud moment for myself. But you know, I took on the role as as club captain after a one of the most miserable m- Mondays I've ever sat through when Kev McLaughlin announced to the team that he was retiring as of immediately. So, you know, it wasn't something I envisaged doing straight or, you know, straight away, but the way the season fell is, you know, I, I just took it on board. Um, 
and it was it's it's massively proud like there's just there's just so much you know i'm I wasn't born here, you know, but all my girls are born here and there's just so much history in the jersey. Um, and you look around our team and the majority of the team are born and bred in Leinster. Like, it's a it's a serious responsibility and one that you, you've got to take seriously. So, um, yeah, it's just a every time I ran out, like, I sort of had to pinch myself, you know, and hold the mascot's hands and go, you know, cherish this moment. So it's it's been a great two years doing that. Um, it really has. And you see, like, I mean, it always struck me as well um, that you're you're a real details guy and you kind of always did a little bit of digging on the background. And I think, you know, what comes across in the letter is that you've done that. But oftentimes people will just pay lip service to that. Um, but knowing you, I really don't think that's the case. I really feel like you, you definitely did immerse yourself in here. And that's why it was easy for you to come back as, you know, obviously as well with the body healing up. But leaving that aside from a mental perspective, you seem to really enjoy it here and really immerse yourself totally. And you always seem to, like, as you, as you said, uh, remember you were talking about that Leinster-Munster game. You did a bit of digging on the history, but you seem to do that in yeah. a lot of different walks of life. Did, did you find, like, did that help or am I on the right, right track? Yeah, I, like, it is, you know, like, I, you know, I'm a bit of, I'm, a, I'm quite from the old school and, like, I, I really like the loyalty to, you know, I've got nothing against a player going to five different clubs if that's, what they're about but for me i thought like it's you know i didn't i didn't want to be just a mercenary passing in and getting a paycheck and passing on through like it's just not me or or my family or how i've been brought up you know so i think it's you know there's so much there's so much history in leinster and in leinster rugby and the reasons behind why people support it like i think it would just be um pretty pretty disrespectful to um you know not take that seriously so like i've you know, some my girls are at school. They they're learning Irish and they're teaching me Irish. Um, <laughs> I saw you had a bit of Irish there. I was very impressed. <laughs> yeah, like I've I've I, I like that side of it. Mm. And like we haven't moved. Like we've never wanted to go anywhere else. Um, uh, you know, and and that's why coming back here was so easily. But yeah, like I I do like the details behind a lot of things, especially the mental side of the game. Um, and you know, like guys like Stuart Lancaster, they just have such a wealth of knowledge of that side of the field that or that side of the game sorry that like I've I really enjoy learning too so I think you know I call it abundant knowledge I'm always trying to get better myself um you know so I don't don't mind the detail side of things was there any temptation to maybe uh stay on at Leinster as in maybe in a coaching capacity and then learn from the likes of Stuart Lancaster and work with Leo Cullen with the next generation of players oh look it would have been it would have been so tempting um but but right now for me um you know, I'm, I'm cherishing the friendships of the guys that I play with, and I think you lose those pretty quickly um, the moment you become a coach. Uh, and I don't want that to happen with with my good friends that I've played with in the last 10 years. Um, and just right now for me, I, I want to break from rugby. I want to break from pressure. Um, I want my weekends back. Um, you know, I want to take my girls camping. And, you know, they ask me, can we go camping this weekend, Daddy? Nah, no, we've got dragons this week. And I've been saying that for, for years, you know, and they're getting to the age where I can do a lot more with them. Um, so for me right now and for Simon, it's it's more about being around family and just, you know, putting the kids first, um, putting the kids first, that's for sure. And was that two-year break that you took uh, between your spells at Leinster, do you think that was kind of necessary for you to achieve what you have done in the second uh, kind of part of, of your career in Dublin? Or... 
do you kind of look back and think, Jesus, I actually kind of wish I just stayed, played those two years and just kept it kind of an unbroken uh, spell? Oh, look, that's just, uh, that to me, it's just so immeasurable. You know, we went back for completely different reasons and I was never planning on playing again. Um, you know, so, the, you know, there's grandparents that, um, the girls met that aren't here now, you know, with them, that's the, that's the most important thing for me was the time that we had with them. Um, and then you did it extend my chances of playing longer? Maybe, um, you know, so many people, you know, try and put a sabbatical in their contract. I just had a two year sabbatical when I look back and think of it, but, um, well, mentally, you know, I didn't have to think as, as sharply as a rugby player physically, obviously, you know, I didn't lift weights for over a year and a half, but I still kept in shape. So it's probably changed the way I thought about training. Um, so all that break probably just, you know, gave me a gave me a boost and a and a kickstart into the three years being back here. Uh, and when you did come back, Isa, like what what were you surprised at what uh, Leinster had become or how it had changed while you were in away? Because Johnny Sexton came back at the same time as you, and he he's been on the record as saying that he was surprised that the culture was a lot different, and that he said they I think they were nowhere near what they had been when they were winning Heineken Cups. Oh look, I think it's just. You know, I've learned it's the more the evolution of, of teams, you know, um, different coaches, different groups of players, like nothing can stay the same, you know, for when there's so much change going on. And, you know, I even think of my first two months being back in Dublin in June of 2015, when Matt O'Connor obviously was made to step down and Leo was thrust on board, Gerv comes into coaching, like so much change happened like it was just a different time and you know obviously all the success we had with joe and in, in three years was was being wound up and it's yeah you know johnny was vocal about it you know we probably discussed discussed it quite a bit between ourselves um you know and then we had a poor 2015-16 season and i think you know you have to hit those lows to start building again and i think that's the beauty about the leaders that were around at the time and and due to circumstance people coming and joining the coaching team like all that sort of helped kickstart to to start again really but just two different times you know and nobody's fault really uh, and Issa talk to us a little bit about uh, Stuart Lancaster you obviously would have had a very uh, close relationship with him and and Leo obviously as well um, you know what a fantastic job he's done to turn the place around um, you know, especially since my retirement, I think you probably have to cut some of the dead weight loose. But, uh, you know, what, what's what's the relationship like, Isu, with the two guys? And, and how much of an impact do you think they've had over the last year or two, especially on all these young players? Yeah, I like those, those two parts of that question. The young guys is, uh, are going to shortly. Look, I think Leo's Leo's been phenomenal. Like, I we, we talk every day, nearly. We talk every day. And, you know, Stuart and myself... Um, just talk constantly there's there's always ways to improve we're always looking to get better you know i think leo was very he's got such a good vision of what he wants leinster to be and he but he also understands how fine margins in rugby can skew the shape of a season you know um a win here a win a win there you know the points differences in games he understands all those minute details but still is able to control the bigger picture and I, then I think you bring Stuart into the equation and his wealth of knowledge through all the different environments that he's been in is just just helped Leo from a whole different angle. And he helped, 
you know, so many players and and staff and within the whole organisation. Then you look at what he's done with, if you look at the England team now and all the young guys that aren't young anymore, Stuart, you know, was they were all part of Stuart's um, elite player programme and then he's the one that kept them all at a 20, 21, 22 years old and they're all some of the best players in England now. He, he changed the mindset of how a young player thinks and how a young player leads themselves. And he understands that from maybe his teaching background and the amount of young players that have stepped up in the last two years at Leinster is phenomenal. Um, and I probably haven't seen anything like it since I first arrived when Reese Ruddock, Dominic Ryan, Fergus McFadden, Owen O'Malley, all these guys were coming through. There hasn't been another surge of young players since then. So, you know, the way they manage the young players between Leo and Stuart and how they develop them and the Leinster Academy is pretty pretty world-class and phenomenal. And you said just in terms of yourself, uh, I mean, I suppose, you know, you, you did go back and you were managing some of the young guys in the Auckland Academy. Uh, do you see yourself getting into something like that? Uh, or are you going to, as you said, completely step away from rugby and, and, and do something else? And, and if that's the case, what are you thinking about doing? Oh, look, I want to get, I want to get away from rugby for a while and, and I might move into the sort of financial advising sector um, and just completely put myself into an unknown world really and um it's going to challenge me it's scary um it's going to be testing but it's it's something that um you know i can really sink my teeth into and just get stuck into so that's that's one side of it um there is the other side of me that wants to see the blues do well again i really do um you know they're a struggling franchise in super rugby at the moment but this the biggest pool of talent uh, in New Zealand goes to the Blues, and it's pretty tough watching every week seeing them, seeing them underperform. So, you know, with Leon McDonald there now, you know, with, with Tana, maybe things will start to change. And, you know, I'm just sick of hearing James Lowe give me a stick about the Chiefs <laughs> and the Blues every week on a constant basis. So, um, you know, if that, was, if that was plans down the track, you know, maybe things might align in the future. And Ethan, just to play a bit of fancy rugby for a second, obviously you were part of all Leinster's, you know, Heineken Cup winning teams, now Champions Cup winning teams. Like, how would you compare this current team with the great teams of, of, the, of the previous generation in terms of, you know, culture, the teams, the coaches, everything? Yeah, uh, I just think it's impossible to compare the two. Um, you know, someone said to me the other day, this is the best team ever. Well, you know, you look at it on paper and we did the double, um, you know, maybe it is. Um it's it's a very different generation of players. Um, in 2011-12, you know, the 13 season, that was a very older, well, I don't know if older is the right word, just a different generation, you know. Um, the young players coming through uh, are just at, at different levels altogether. So, you know, who knows what the next 10 years of their careers are going to be like, whether they can hit 10 stars, you know, and do 5 and 10. Who knows? I, I really don't know. Um I'm going to be very intrigued to watch it all, but I just I just don't think you can compare the two. Um, but it's pretty interesting talking. And I know from an Ireland perspective, you know, obviously with Joe Schmidt at the helm, he's just won a Grand Slam. I know you know Joe very well. You know the players very well. Like, what would you be thinking Ireland should be aiming for at this next World Cup? Oh look, there's there's no they they have to go at it to win it, and I. And I think they believe they can, which is the most important thing. Um, and why? Why wouldn't they? Like they've, they've. It's gonna be, <laughs> it's gonna be tough. I think everyone knows that. But I think 
the cohesiveness of the Irish team right now and the competitiveness for positions, hands down, makes them one of the best teams in the world. And, you know, who else, what other team can look like that at the moment? I think the All Blacks, you know, there's going to be, but they're going through a lot of change and, you know, and uncertainty in their position. So I think cohesiveness and competitiveness puts Ireland in the top two for the next World Cup. And I think, you know, I, I don't know this, but like imagine thinking what would be better, if you're, if you're the coach of the All Blacks, you're expected to win the World Cup. If you could win the World Cup with a different country, that would be pretty impressive in your own CV, in your own mind. So I don't know. I think it's I think it's going to be Ireland are going to make the final. That's for sure. And just just before we let you go, Isa, I guess looking back at now in your whole career, what's the thing you kind of look back on? What's going to keep you up at night when you look back in your career? Any regrets? Anything that sticks out as something you would have liked to have done differently? <laughs> There's there's a few games that jump out at me, and one is Shane Williams' last game, Ospreys at the RDS, where I think we were leading by nine points with, maybe we were leading by eleven points with about ten minutes to go, and Dan Bigger, Dan Bigger kicked two converted tries from the sideline. For some reason, that game still annoys the hell out of me. Um, it was a beautiful sunny day at the RDS, so I think those games will forever haunt me. Um, but look, I've enjoyed every moment um, of my time here. My family have. Um, yeah, it's it's been great. You know, I'm going to have plenty of time to reflect. I'm sure more things will jump out at me in the future. But uh, right now, we're sort of just just getting on with things, really. Listen, East, uh, look, thanks a million. I know you're rushing on there. Um, I really appreciate you coming on the show just before you head off. It's uh, It's been a great all right. I really enjoyed my part of the journey with you and a fantastic way uh, to finish your Leinster career. I mean, a double champion. Um, yeah, listen, best of luck with whatever you decide to do. Okay, cheers, Loki. Cheers, cheers well. Thanks, Issa. That's all we have time for in the left wing this week. Thank you so much for listening. We will be back next week with another great podcast. And in the meantime, you could subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, or listen on independent.ie. So until next week, thanks for listening and goodbye. Leia Healthcare. It's good to live. Proud sponsor of The Left Wing with Luke Fitzgerald.